0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer powered, listener supported.
1: Community Radio from South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones.
2: And I'm Tom Malky. This is the WFHB local news for February 13th, 2023.
1: Later in the program, WFHB correspondent Zero Rose speaks with Dr. Joel Furman, best-selling author and renowned physician specializing in preventative nutrition and natural healing. More in today's feature report.
2: Also coming up in the next half hour, we have Activate Narratives from People Making Positive Change done in collaboration with the Bloomington Volunteer Network. More following today's feature, At first, your local headlines.
1: The Monroe County Board of Health met on February 9th. During public comment, Monroe County resident Andrea Ford expressed concern about Senate Bill 4.
3: I wanted to come here today because I know that there are things um, being discussed at the state level, and they clearly affect every community throughout uh, Indiana. Um, And the things being discussed at the state level are quite concerning. Um, And I was at the state last week and testified at SB4. Uh, And it was clear that the senators were completely unaware of Governor Holcomb's uh, public health commission and their meetings that they hold, And these are the people voting on what happens throughout all the local communities and counties. So, um, There are, there's a video, you can see public video of Governor Holcomb's Health Commission. And there was a meeting from June of 2022. And in this meeting, the the commission is sitting around a table and they're active, I don't know, have any of you seen that video? Mm -hmm. And they're actively talking about coercing counties into opting into this new restructuring that they're coming up with, where counties are going to accept funding in order to opt in to this new program and and in this discussion the the co- committee is talking is talking about um, they don't want any counties to opt out it is very clear that they want every county in this which is a centralized public health at that point when every uh, county is under the same umbrella so, we're looking at centralizing the public health throughout the state, which is a very scary matter.
1: Next, Monroe County resident Ananya Manny asked the board questions about their stance on Senate Bill 4 and if they would be willing to turn down the financial incentives.
4: And are you prepared to turn down the funding to avoid losing autonomy in this process? Like that's one of the no, that's the kind of question that I think the board needs to address to the citizens. And do you and also, like, do you have any other kind of rebuttals, so as like people were opposed to us before? like what can be you know, what's your stance? like why people should be opposed or should not be opposed? What's the Mundra county uh, health Commission's kind of remarks on this?
1: Board member Carol Tolukian responded that she couldn't answer his questions yet since the board has not discussed it together.
4: Thank you for your questions. And like I said, we're, we, we as a board have not discussed this yet, but we have, we will. Okay. Um, and we, we obviously need a lot more information before we're ready to take a stance on that.
1: Health Department Director Lori Kelly gave updates on the Future Clinic's initiative to use a free program that will remind clients about their appointment the day before they are scheduled to come in. Talukian commented that no-show rates are a common problem without a reminder system in place.
0: Uh, For the Futures Clinic, uh, they are working on beginning a Google appointment text reminder system. Uh, The system is free to use, and we hope to be able to reduce the amount of no-shows in the clinic by using this tool. In January, there are 65 patients scheduled, 45 actual visits, and 20 no-shows. So the no-show volume has increased and we're hoping that using the text reminder system, we'll be able to get that number lower. That's always a problem. When I did well, baby clinics,
4: we'd have a 50% no-show rate until we started calling them all the day before. I mean, you're you're familiar with that. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That's just a. And in the winter, it gets worse because it's cold.
1: Kelly also gave an update on lead training for the staff. Talukian asked if the lead screening would only be available at the public health clinic pediatricians group and expressed concern that children who go to different clinics won't receive the service.
0: A staff have been attending lead training this week. They did pick up the XRF machine and they are doing some training, um, practicing getting some samples for that. So we're actually doing the lead's here? Uh, Out of this office, yes. Wow. Yeah, gotcha. so that's something new with the uh, new lead grant that we have. So we have the machine now. Uh, we're going to be working with the public health clinic to set up standard operating procedures for uh, the nursing staff with the environmental staff uh, when they go out to do the assessments. So, um, uh, so these samples are. Uh, where are these samples coming from? The one that, so uh, wall like paint. Okay, mm-hmm.
3: so you're
4: not doing screening for kids. Nothing.
0: Our
3: our side will handle the
4: evil side. Okay, so because here's what I think. I think the pediatricians do screening, no problem, because they see kids like all the time. I think some of these smaller family practice type offices. I don't know what IU Health is doing. I don't know if you have worked with them at all. I'm just concerned about some of the kids that. I mean, if they're seen by you know the, the pediatricians group, they, that's not an issue. Right. But there's kids seen in other offices as well.
3: Right. Who
4: yeah. probably okay. don't have the you know the ability to do lead screening. And, and I think this is an important thing for them to know about, that they can, right. that they can send. So I think you know, need to yeah. connect with them.
1: Interim manager for Monroe County Public Health Clinic Zara Cortiga shared the outreach they would do to ensure more residents would be able to take advantage of the service.
0: And we have started sharing. Um, our The nurse that handles our lead cases at our clinic has started putting together media Um, pieces, flyers, things that we're sending out to the school. Um, Something I didn't share is that March 11th, we're doing kind of a, that's a Saturday, we're doing a kindergarten-focused vaccine clinic at Miller Drive. Um, Alongside, we are offering lead testing uh, to anyone that stops by. Um, But further information will be shared to all the schools, um, indicating that anyone that doesn't have a primary care physician at the office
1: and finally, Dr. Carol Tolukian was reelected as President of the board. And Steve Pritchard was elected as vice President.
2: Up next, WFHB correspondent Zero Rose speaks with Dr. Joel Furman, best-selling author and renowned physician specializing in preventive nutrition and natural healing. This interview segment is titled Foods or Fads, Do's and Don'ts. The conversation begins with our guest addressing a question about ketogenic diet which involves consuming a lower amount of carbohydrates and replacing them with fat, with the aim of helping your body burn fat for energy, and whether this diet can help with epileptic seizures. The
0: ketogenic diet came up as a way to address epileptic seizures and things, and it, it can have some benefits in that regard because they're clearly maybe offsetting something else that are causing problems that has been eliminated. And is there any benefit at all to what they call ketosis and other ways to get the body on its ketones, I I guess, with fasting?
5: Well, Well, not really. As scientists... And medical profession has used the ketogenic diet for people, for children with seizures who are medication unresponsive, even though medications have risks and dangerous, they couldn't control the seizures with medication. In those cases, they would resort to ketogenic diets for brain to be fueled by ketones as a means of reducing the seizures threshold. Which they didn't do. So you know, telling you it's healthy to eat this way, they did it recognizing it It increases risk of bone fractures. It suppresses immune function, increases risk of pneumonia. There's you know, increases risk of urinary loss of kidney function. I mean, they do so conservatively um, with um, the with informed consent telling children having to eat this way that it's even though it's increased the risk of seizures there's certain risks associated with it now we have ketogenic people advocating people do this to, with false information as if it's a healthy thing to do so you know fasting the brain can utilize ketones as an emergency fuel it's for emergencies it's not to be living in ketosis long term so when we fast and we can't find calories to eat um, the body can break down fat and make ketones in the brain after 36 hours for a female and 48 hours for a male, it, the brain can convert to be utilizing ketones as an alternative source of energy instead of glucose. That's the way the body we can sustain ourselves and and um, sustain our, our energy to function when there's no food around. So we can go without food for a week if we can't find any and not die. But that's the, we're not meant to be going without food to stay in ketosis long-term. We're meant to try to find food again and get out of ketosis. So when we trick the body by not eating any carbohydrates because we're a primate, which means we're dependent on carbohydrates for energy and our brain is supposed to be fueled by glucose, like the other primates, like the other gorillas and apes, and right? We're we're only a fraction of a chromosome different from a mountain gorilla. We're essentially primates designed to function on assortment of plant material. In any case, when we um, trick the body as to when no carbohydrate is coming in, the body thinks it's fasting. You know, there's things we're not eating and it breaks, starts to break down. The brain then begins to accept ketones as an alternative fuel. The body produces more ketones when no carbohydrate is coming in, but you're keeping your body in a stressful state, making, making it more acidotic, more bone loss, more kidney damage, more immune system suppression more cancer proliferation, higher levels of IGF-1 that promotes cell replication that can promote cancer, and the promotion of angiogenesis, which then allows cancer cells to replicate. So it's it's important we're talking about it, but people shouldn't be considering that as an option. If they're overweight, diabetic, have high blood pressure, they shouldn't be trying to lose weight using ketogenic diets. They should run the other direction.
0: And how about the uh, Mediterranean diet, which is uh, a little more mixed, includes things, Cheese and meat, you know, seems more sane on the surface. When you when you look at it, it at least uh, is eschewing processed foods and things that people consider a little more natural, organic, and uh, this other concept of the ancestral diet.
5: Yeah, I think that also is not a good way to describe a healthy diet because there's too much confusion around it and too many unhealthy parts components of the Mediterranean diet. You know, consider that I consider white flour and spaghetti and pasta made from white flour to be a drug, not even to be a food, because it's so low in nutrients and has such a high glycemic effect. One reason these people advocating keto diets and paleo diets and telling people, one of the benefits of those diets is they're getting people off white flour, which which converts into the bloodstream into sugar, which, which then dry, doesn't even convert into energy very efficiently because there's no vitamins and minerals and, phyto and phyto antioxidants associated with it. So the body more readily converts it to fat, leaving you lethargic while you're gaining weight and less feeling like being active. What I'm saying is that the huge concentration of calories that flood the body from white flour products like pizza and bagels and pasta and Italian bread is particularly lifespan negative as, as is the overuse of oil in the diet. Because even the Prevamid study that showed that olive oil, um, may have re- when you switched butter into olive oil, may have reduced heart attack deaths by 15%. When they started getting rid of the olive oil and eating more nuts and seeds, their heart attack rates went down by 60%. So the, the home or the, one of the unique features of a nutritarian diet is that almost all the fat intake comes from nuts and seeds and avocado, not from where most of the fat intake in America comes from oils and animal fats. And it's the oils and and so we get much more favorable fat intake from nuts and seeds, which then are shown to reduce heart attack and cancer risks and prolong lifespan. So a Mediterranean diet with tomato sauce and more vegetables is certainly a step in the right direction. But then you start considering the people's interpretation of Mediterranean diet means more pasta, more olive oil, yeah and permiss and allowing the use of meat and cheeses excessively um, could still be not ideal. And of course, we don't buy a car by comparing it to a junkyard wreck. You know we don't we just because in other words, just because a diet's better than the American diet, which is which is literally um a, a you know a, a witch's cauldron of cancer causation, you know, just because it's better than the American diet, doesn't mean it's an ideal way to to recommend people eat. I don't even consider the blue zones. Like there's a blue zones areas like in Okinawa, areas of Sardinia. There's about eight areas of the world where people are living about six to eight years longer than the average American, and they're generally eating most, more plant-based diets with less than ten percent. The blue zones have reduced intake of animal products, higher intake of vegetation, plants, you know, plant foods. But they're not. But I don't consider them to be ideal diets to be emulated just because they're doing better than Americans do, because we can use science to put together a dietary portfolio that promotes human longevity to much more a, d- a stronger degree than the blue zones even do so we could see that as also a step in the right direction over the mediterranean diet cuz obviously in the blue zones there're less processed foods less pasta less oils more natural plants more simple foods grown culturally and historically in those areas for dec- you know for centuries and they generally living living longer in those areas. But most of those blue zone areas are not doing as well as the blue zones did 20, 30 years ago, because they will now put more modern foods in their diet, like fast food and white flour products and French fries. And you know, we even in Japan and Okinawa, they're not eating what they, like they did is, like they did you know 50 years ago. So the, most people in, in middle age there aren't gonna live as long as the people who were in their later years did, because they were living you know, many decades ago when a diet was better. I'm trying to give people this unprecedented opportunity in human history to design a dietary portfolio that maximizes human lifespan to enable most people to be able to live with their full mental faculties intact between 97 and 107 years old. That, that science is available to us today. On a nutritarian diet, Um, utilizes these foods that have anti-cancer potential and protect you against heart disease and enable people to reach their ideal weight and maintain that ideal weight for the rest of their life, which is essential for optimizing longevity.
1: Up next, we have Activate, narratives from people making positive change done in collaboration with the Bloomington Volunteer Network, Today's episode features Michelle Moss, Bloomington Volunteer Network Supervisor. We turn now to the latest installment of Activate on the WFHB Local News.
0: Welcome to Activate, featuring stories of inspiration from your community members who stand up for what they believe in and encouraging you to live your passion, make a difference, and get involved.
6: I'm Michelle Moss, and I am the supervisor of the Bloomington Volunteer Network that is a part of the Community and Family Resources Department with the City of Bloomington. I had been working for CFRD Community Family Resources Department for a year previously. I was working with the Council for Community Accessibility and working on their digital accessibility program with Michael Shermus, working with the BVN, being able to help see that grow and change. And what will come of that is is exciting because I feel like I'm going to help spread the the joy to others to find that, you know, hey, I, okay, maybe I'm a busy person, but if I can even give two hours of time once a month, well, all of a sudden I've got this whole other avenue and I've met new people and I've helped do something good and I'm feeling good. And that's really my motivator is just the continuing that process and helping to make my wave bigger, <laughs> try to affect people in a positive way. Just working with the CCA before I came on to the the working with the Bloomington Volunteer Network, uh, I think that that was really inspiring for me because there were so many programs and events and opportunities that the CCA provide during the year to get get the community at large to look at accessibility from a different perspective. And um, that really excited me to start getting involved in the community in whatever way that I could could do through that organization. The CCA um, has worked with Michael Shermis in the city of Bloomington to put together several different accessibility walking tours where they've had people who are using different modes of transportation, wheelchairs, uh, powered wheelchairs, people who are uh, blind, with different kind of accessibility issues be out on the streets with people who have come to the event to experience what it is like. If you're on a city street and you're making your way down down the street in a wheelchair, what might you encounter? If you're making your way down the street and you cannot see, what are you going to encounter? And there are so many pieces of that that I had never even considered before. That to me was really inspiring and it was Uh, a call to action, you know, what else could I do to help, to help let people know of this as an issue? How else can I get involved to advocate for somebody who I have seen for myself through their eyes, what they're encountering, um, or have seen through their encounters with obstacles, what it is that are the challenges just to get from point A to point B. And that's, that is a it's a good lesson and it's an inspiring lesson because it's not an easy fix obviously you've got a sidewalk and ownership and management and overgrown trees and all these things making all those things um, all the barriers go away regardless of who is the entity that's responsible getting all the barriers to go away can be exceptionally not only time involved but cost involved, just putting uh, um, accessible signals at an intersection. Those are so expensive, and you just don't think how, how giant dollars can go so very, very they don't go very far. It sounds like a big mountain in my head. I'm thinking, oh, that's a lot of them. They can take care of accessibility on the square. And then you think, oh, wait a minute. But then there's all these other issues in the city. All the money has to come out of the same pot when it comes to those kinds of infrastructure. With my time with the BVN, I think one of my Things that I've felt the happiest about is just getting to meet the different organizations in town. I am initially from Bloomington, lived here for a very long time, but then I've lived all around different different states. And uh, when I was living in Bloomington previously, I really wasn't involved with all the different organizations that were putting on these great events that required volunteers. And so for me, it's made me the happiest just to get familiar with what's out there in the community and have a chance to get involved myself, learn a little bit more. And that in its own has been something that I feel the the most excited about at this point, I wouldn't say every day, and I'm sure that different times of the year, it's going to be different. But there are almost always some, uh, an organization who has put out a call for volunteers. It's one of those things you just always are going to need volunteers, and there's always going to be something for somebody to do who's interested. So go to the Bloomington Volunteer Network. That's just bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org. You can go onto the site, you can look and see which organizations our members on the site. You can also look up opportunities. You can do all of that without actually setting up a profile and and signing up Um, on the network. So that's kind of a great way to see what's currently needed. Uh, There are a lot of opportunities that people have events that are coming up soon. And then there are also a lot of ongoing opportunities where you've got an organization that just always has a need for certain positions. And when you've got lots of organizations with ongoing opportunities, you could have Well, I know Stone Belt is another one that has lots of ongoing opportunities, and you can probably find eight different opportunities listed on their page right now that need not just one volunteer, but they need multiple volunteers to really help impact the different programs they're doing. So literally hundreds of opportunities are always available in the the Monroe County and surrounding counties. The Bloomington Volunteer Network has a lot of agencies that we work with, but my guess is there are probably other organizations and agencies that maybe aren't a part of the volunteer network, and if they're not, they should go (laughs) and maybe sign up, see if we could help find some volunteers for them. Um, At least once they're on the network as an organization, it's the same sort of thing where they can put an opportunity in and then people that are interested can respond to them directly. It's just another way for them to help find resources. You've been
0: listening to Activate, a co-production of WFHB and City of Bloomington Volunteer Network, working together to build an empowered, vibrant, engaged community. To find more information about volunteering in your community, visit bloomington.in.gov volunteer.
1: The City of Bloomington Volunteer Network aims to inspire, support, and celebrate volunteerism in the community by connecting volunteers of all ages and interests with opportunities to serve. They invite you to get involved and make a difference by visiting bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org or emailing getconnected at bloomington.in.gov to learn more. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky-Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Zero Rose. Activate
2: is produced by Kirsten Payton and Michelle Moss. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and The Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Tom Malky.
1: And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org.
2: The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letter, W-F-H-B, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program.
1: Stay tuned for With Good Reason, coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer.